Hey, get your Bibles out. If you don't have one, there's some on the tables, but uh, hopefully you brought your own. We're going to be getting into the life of David again. We just started this series called In the Footsteps of King David. So if you could turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, we're going to look that there real quick. And then 1 Samuel 16. Okay, we're going to go Acts 13 and then 1 Samuel 16. So maybe put a little piece of paper in 1 Samuel 16. And we're in this series, this study on the life of David called In the Footsteps of King David because the Lord has said to me, hold David up as an example to my people. See, God wants us to look at David and see what it means to have a heart for God what it means to, to, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. David, even though he lived in the Old Testament, he knew God and he knew the grace of God and he followed the Lord with such a great heart that he is an example to us. And last week we talked about why he is that example and why God is uh, leading us into this series. But God wants David to be our example. Because as we always say around here, we are a community of fully devoted followers of Christ. And the Lord is calling us to follow him and to walk with him with all of our hearts, and David is a great example of that. And so, in Acts chapter 13, we just looked at two verses. This is uh, two verses about David in the midst of a sermon that Paul was giving to some Jews and Gentiles. And Paul was talking about Jesus and Jesus' resurrection, but in the middle of these, in this message, he, there's two verses about King David. The first one is in verse 22, where it says, And when he had removed him, referring to Saul, he raised up for them David as king to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And we saw that the the two things that, that set David apart is that he had a heart after God. He was different from everyone else in his generation. Not only that is number two, it said that he did all the will of God. doesn't mean he never sinned. It's just that he did everything that God had said for him to do. He did it. And many times we'll find about David is that he would ask God what he wanted him to do. So he was a man who would seek the Lord and inquire of God, and then he would do all the will of God wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, not halfway, not with some sort of religious obedience, but truly would hear God and do what he says. And then in verse 36, it says this about David. It says, For David, after he had served in his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. And we saw those two things also about David, that he served his own generation, and it says, by the will of God. The word will there is referring to God's plan. That God had a plan for David, and David fulfilled it. In his generation, he did what God said for him to do, doing all the will of God. He fulfilled the calling of God. And I showed you that many times people do not fulfill the call of God on their life. But David did. And so what the Lord is, is calling us to is to look at David as an example. And this is kind of the, the main thing that's going to hold all these messages together. As we look at David, the Lord is saying, what is it about David's heart? Why was he a man after my own heart? And why is it that David fulfilled his calling, even though he went through a lot of trials, and even though he even sinned, yet that sin never took him out from fulfilling his calling? What was different about David? And we see, as it says about him serving his own generation, that by the will of God, he served. He did not use his calling for selfish ends, but he used his calling to serve his generation. He knew that what God had called him to was not about for him, but for others. And so... We're going to be looking at David so that we could become like Jesus, ultimately. 
so that we could be a people after his heart, so that we could fulfill our calling, so that we could see what God wants to do in us and through us to serve other people. Sound good? All right. So now turn with me to 1 Samuel 16, and let's see how this thing begins. We're going to look at the call of David today. And there's something that the Lord wants to speak to us about our calling. So 1 Samuel 16 says this in verse 1. We won't read all of it, but I'm going to read some select verses here. Verse 1, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And so Saul, because he had sinned against the Lord and didn't do all the will of God, and there was two things that Saul did, and not only that, and just to make sure everyone knows, Saul did not repent. Saul never repented. And so because of that, God said, I've rejected him as king, and I have chosen a man after my own heart. He said earlier, God said earlier, I know I've chosen this man. He's a man after my heart. And so he says to Samuel, go to Bethlehem and find a man named Jesse, and one of his sons is going to be king. And so Samuel's kind of scared about, for, but, uh, about Saul, but God tells him what to do. And so Samuel obeys. He goes down to Bethlehem. And he, um, he gathers, he calls a festival, and they're going to do a sacrifice. And he, gets, he, he comes to Jesse, and he wants to meet Jesse's sons. And he knows that God has chosen a king among Jesse's sons. And so he tells Jesse, you know, I want to meet your sons. So in verse 6 it says, So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab, and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So he sees Eliab, who is the eldest brother, the eldest son, the firstborn son of Jesse. And he says, oh, that's got to be the Lord's anointed. That's got to be the one who's anointed king. So you got to understand, in those days, I mean, Saul was a head taller than all the other people. They would, they would pick military leaders and kings and, and leaders based upon outward uh, physical uh, character attributes. It's a good thing we don't do that anymore, right? Just messing. All right. So, uh, just messing. Okay. So, uh, so he, so Samuel, j- just normal, you know, normal what all of us would think. You know, Samuel hears God, and Samuel's a prophet, but he also has his own natural reasoning, right? And so, out of his own natural reasoning, out of his flesh, he says, "Oh man, that's got to be the Lord's anointed. He's the older one. He's bigger. He looks like physically on the outward. That's the one that God would pick." But in verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. Not necessarily saying, like, I don't like that guy, but just meaning, no, that's not the one I've chosen. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, David, God knew something about David's heart, knew that he was different. God wanted somebody who would shepherd his people like a shepherd, shepherd's sheep. And so you see here where Samuel thought it was going to go one way, right? You see that Samuel, he still, he still has his own natural reasoning, but what does he do? He ultimately listens to the Lord. And we need to be able to do this, where we might have, maybe for a job that you've got, or some sort of decision you have to make, and you might think, oh, I think this is the way, but you need to ask the Lord, right? We need to consult the Lord, and allow the Lord to say, no, 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 don't look at that don't look at that in a natural way. 
You don't know. You know, let's say you're choosing between two different jobs. You don't know which one's going to be the one that the Lord might actually bless. And so here the Lord stops Samuel and says, no, 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 that's not the one. And Samuel, of course, being a man of God who hears the Lord, is able to process that and realize, oh, oh, okay. And so he receives correction from the Lord. Okay, I was looking at it my way. God's stopping me and saying, no, 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 you need to wait. Listen for the one that I'm going to say, because the one I'm going to show you, it has to do with something on the inside you can't see. It has to do with something about his heart. And that's important because Samuel would have never picked David himself. So basically in verse 8, so Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. So he goes from oldest to, to youngest, keeps having them pass by, and Samuel, realizing, I'm not going to say it unless God says it, says, no, that's not, the, that's not the one. That's not the one. That's not the one. And what's so interesting is that his, his dad, Jesse, doesn't, doesn't go, oh, I have one more son. He doesn't say that. Oh, I got another one. No, J- J- Samuel, because he knows that he heard from God. You know, when you, when you know you've heard from God, you don't go, uh, uh, I'll just pick that one. You know? No, you wait on the Lord, right? So Samuel says, in verse 10, the Lord has not chosen these. Verse 11, and Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. Samuel knew. Well, wait a minute. This can't be all of them, because I know what I heard from God. Does it make sense? When you hear God, it doesn't line up with what you're experiencing or seeing at the moment. He's like, no, 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 no. No, I know that there's got to be another one around here somewhere. Because <laughs> I know I heard God. And so he goes, hey, is there another one? Is this, is this all of them? And then Jesse says, oh, yeah, yeah, I got another one. He's tending the sheep right now. See, some scholars believe that David was 10 years old. Some people believe 15. Either way, he's pretty young. There's no way that he is looking like a warrior. There's no way that he's looking like a king. There's no way that his dad is even considering that his son would be anointed for some mighty task. Some scholars don't think that Jesse knew that he was being anointed as king. Some people do. It's not 100% clear. But I will show you uh, that David knew when he got anointed that it was for kingship. But Jesse may not have known it at this time. So Jesse's like, I got another one. So he brings David in from serving the sheep. David was faithfully serving his dad, faithfully serving as a shepherd. He brings him in. And like I said, even though we don't know exactly how old he was, he's young. He's definitely in his early teenage years uh, from some of the things that, that people, scholars have read in these, in these books. I think he was probably about 12, maybe at most 15. And so here's this young man. He comes before, uh, comes before Samuel, and it says in verse 11, and Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. I love that. I love that. You know, David walks in and the spirit witnesses to Samuel's spirit. That's the one. See, Samuel knew exactly what that meant. That's the one who has a heart after me. That's the one that I've chosen to be king. That's the one you need to anoint, right? So the Lord just says, that's it. That's the one. And, and, and Samuel knows it. The Holy Spirit witnesses that to his spirit. He says, that's the one. 
And he says, Arise and anoint him. Right. So the Lord said that to Samuel. No one else would have heard that. Verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, it says, in the midst of his brothers. There are some people who suggest that the Hebrew is suggesting that he took him out from the midst of his brothers and anointed him privately. But I don't believe that the, uh, the Hebrew reads that way. I think it just reads exactly what it says right here, in the midst of his brothers. They're all sitting around. They've come to a gathering. They've come to eat food. And right there in the midst of all his brothers, he takes David. He says, yeah, that's the one. And he pours anointing oil on him. And it seems to be from in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel, there's a reference to this. It appears that Samuel declared over him, you've been a shepherd to sheep, and you will shepherd God's people. I believe that this anointing came with a word. I believe David knew exactly what would happen. Even Jonathan and all of Israel knew that David would be king. Jonathan reminds him of it. And even Israel later, when they finally accept David as king, they say that. They say, David, God said to you, you'd be shepherd over his people, so we accept you as our king. And so literally in the midst of his brothers... With his dad looking on, God pours anoint- I mean, Samuel pours anointing all on him, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit coming upon him. And at this very moment, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon David and that God was with him, that God anointed him for that calling of kingship. It says right here in verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and it says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David, from that day forward. Now, did anything change on the outside? Did he look different? Did he grow? That would have been nice for me. Did he, <laughs> did he get taller? Did anything change on the outside? Did his brothers think that this was going to happen? We find out later, no, they thought I was full of pride. Did anyone on the outside except for Samuel know this is the one? No one. And nothing changes. Guess what David probably did right after this? Went back and separate sheep. Did his position change? Nope. Was he positionally king? Absolutely not. But he had the anointing of God upon him. This is when God called him. And we find a principle here in the scriptures that God's calling on our life, and God's plan for our life is by His own election. It's by God's grace. He's the one who chooses. He's the one who calls us. He's the one who initiates the calling of God on our life. See, God called David when he was a young boy before he'd ever done anything. And He anoints him and puts His Spirit upon him for something that He will do. Because He wanted David to know something that He wants every single one of us to know. That it's by my grace. See, when God makes a promise to you, He chooses to make that promise to you. There is not one promise that God has ever made to you that you somehow got Him to make to you. There's no one in the history of the universe who ever has guilted God into promising something or manipulated God's hand to get Him to promise you something that He didn't really want to do. You've got to understand that every promise of God He's ever made in the, in the Scriptures, He made it because He loves you and because He wanted to do it. It's the only reason He created us. It's the only reason He died for us. It's the only reason He has called you to something and made promises to your life. Because He wants you to have it. It's always by His grace. There's nothing you could ever do to earn the call of God on your life. There's nothing you could ever do to earn any of the blessings or the promises or any of the love of God for your life. 
There's nothing you could ever do to make God change his mind. He makes a promise because he wants to do it. And it's absolutely by his grace. I love what... um, Listen to some of these verses. Some of this we've read recently. Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, all of the calling and the assignment on your life, your very salvation, but also all the good works or the assignments or calling that God has for you, he's already laid out in advance. Remember that, uh, do you remember that uh, Jeremiah said of, of the Lord, before I was in my mother's womb, you knew me, Right? He knows who you are. He knows your calling. He knows your destiny because he's the one who gave it to you. He knows your gifts. He knows your passions. He knows your abilities. He knows your intelligences. He's the one who made you. And before you were even born, he knit you together. I mean, he knew you even before he knit you together in your mother's womb. Look at, listen to 2 Timothy. I love this. Chapter 1. He says of Jesus, who has saved us, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he has given to us, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. Listen, before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You were chosen before the creation of the world in Christ to belong to him. And he literally planned not only your salvation. Jesus did not just die to forgive you of your sin and to give you eternal life. He didn't just die so that we could uh, live in a relationship like we've talked about the last couple months. That he actually paid for our unity here as a church. But he also died so that you would fulfill the call of God in your life. Every human being has a purpose. But just as you needed your sins to be forgiven by the blood and be restored and redeemed, the same thing with your calling. You cannot fulfill your calling outside of coming to Jesus as your Lord, receiving his forgiveness and seeing him restore the very reason you were created. He purchased your calling and your salvation, but notice that he determined it before time even began. I want you to understand that God has a plan for your life and it's all by his grace. He makes promises to you that he already determined to do them for you before time even began. Does that make sense? That it's not by your own human effort. It's not something you're trying to get God to do. It's not something you're trying to convince God, I want to be special. I want to do something important, make a difference. No, he wants it more than you do. He, of course he wants you to make a difference. That's why he created you. <clears throat> now it's interesting, like I said, that God anoints David and the, and the Spirit of God comes upon David. Of course, we know, I won't talk about this today, but we know that in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on us. That God wants every believer baptized in the Holy Spirit to receive power so we can fulfill our calling and be witnesses for Christ. It's in the book of Acts. And that baptism of the Spirit is for every believer. Why? For empowerment. The Bible says that when you're baptized in the Spirit, the Spirit comes upon you, like with David. See, in the Old Testament, there might have been select people. You might, oh, I'm not like David. 
Yeah, David was a select individual that the Spirit of God came upon him. But in the New Testament, Jesus died so that the Bible says this. All the, my, I will, God said, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. All flesh. Every single one of you has a calling. He died to release that. And he gives his Holy Spirit. Now, if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, we wanna, we'd love to lead you into that. It'll be a whole other message, but we'd love to pray for you. See the Holy Spirit come upon you. And you can see that in the book of Acts. But you see God come upon David and anoint him fill him with his spirit, and that God was with him in a special way to become king. But he wasn't king at right then. Like I said, he's probably a teenager, 10, 12, maybe 15 years old. What does he do? He goes back to serving sheep. And then, maybe a couple years later, we don't really know how long, he gets called up to go and serve King Saul. He's a musician. And so, uh, because King Saul, the Lord had left King Saul, and King Saul started going a little bit crazy, because King Saul never repented, the fear and the insecurity began to really get him, and he began to have a distressing spirit, depression, bouts of anger, that kind of a thing. It was, it was demonic, but it was also because of lack of repentance in his life. And, and so this David was called to play music and calm his spirit. And not only that is, David was so effective at doing that, David became one of his armor bearers. And then, of course, we get to that story of David and Goliath. But see, the thing is, is when, when that whole David and Goliath story happens, David, I don't think it's possible for David to be more than 20 years old because he would have been called up to be a part of the army. As if you're over 20, you'd go into the army. And so again, most scholars believe he's either 20 or less. Only his three eldest brothers went to fight the war uh, against the Philistines where, in terms of the Goliath incident. So here's David, a young man, still serving sheep. He goes back and forth, sometimes serving Saul as, you know, as the musician and a little armor bearer, that kind of one of the armor bearers. And he goes back sometimes to help his dad and serve sheep, just being faithful and, and just serving. And then one day, this whole Goliath incident happens, right? And uh, he goes and he sees Goliath. We'll talk about that story. And in one day, he goes from just you know, being a kid and being kind of a nobody knows about him. And in one day, he kills Goliath right by the hand of the Lord. So it's a miraculous thing. He kills Goliath and in one day becomes famous. The women are singing songs about him. The whole nation knows that's the man that killed Goliath and, and, and caused us to win the battle. In one day, everything turns around for him. And all of a sudden, David begins to soar in popularity. He begins to become more a part of what Saul's doing. He moves from an armor bearer to actually a captain of the army. So he moves in popularity and fame. He grows all of a sudden into position where now he's in a leadership position and he's serving as commander of, of one of the commanders in Saul's army and he wins every battle. So he's getting fame and, and, and recognition among all the other commanders. And you know when you win battles in that day, you get spoiled. I guarantee he's getting money. In his young years, maybe not even 20 or maybe his early 20s, he's all of a sudden rising in fame and fortune. He even becomes the king's son-in-law. In none of these ways is he trying to do it. He's not seeking position. He's not trying to make it happen. He's just serving the Lord. And all of a sudden, wow, look at all this blessing. <gasps> this is it. I mean, this is it. I'm, I'm, I'm rising up as a, as a commander in the army. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know if David's thinking this, but I, I would, you know. Oh, this is it. God is, God is blessing me. I mean, I mean, look at this favor of God on my life. And now I'm the king's son-in-law. Maybe that's the way it's going to happen. But in all that way, I don't, think, I don't know if David's thinking that because in all that way, he was walking in humility. He was trying to honor his leaders. But something bad started to happen. Saul, because he was insecure, fearful, became jealous, 
became angry at David. He said, oh, they like him better than me. He's going to take my kingdom. So he began to throw spears at David, right? Some of you know the story, some of you don't. He began to throw spears at David. And for a little while, David dodged them. But sooner or later, or a little soon, sooner rather than later, David realized, oh, this guy really wants to kill me. And there was one night when Saul told his soldiers to go and get David and kill him. And David knew it. David had his wife back in him, and David had a good friend, Jonathan. And Jonathan always stood in faith with David, and they helped him. But David knew that night, if I don't run, I will die. See, here he is rising in his own, just the favor of God is on him, just the hand of God on him. And here's a king that hates him, who's jealous and tries to kill David, tries to kill the plan of God on David's life. And so David, in one night, flees from Saul and loses everything. Everything. He loses his reputation. He's a fugitive. He's seen as a rebel against the king. He must have done something wrong. He loses his reputation. Shame. He loses his position. He loses all of his money. He even loses his family for a season. He sent them off to another country. He has no family. Jonathan wasn't with him. Jonathan came and encouraged him one time. Most of the time, alone. It was so hard for David. Him and Jonathan, when he was leaving Jonathan, when it was like the last time, just wept. Says in David more than Jonathan. Everything robbed from him, taken away, even his own wife. Gone in a night. And then I think for 10 years, 10 years chased by Saul. You have a promise from God, a calling on your life that you're going to be king. And now this king is trying to kill you. I think 10 years, if not 10, at least like eight I don't think it could be any less than eight. Being chased by Saul, a fugitive hiding in caves. And yet, David had 400 men who was following him, who were following him. And he continued to ask God, what do you want me to do? And he continued to fulfill his ministry calling. Even as a fugitive, he did what God asked him to do. He continued to be faithful to the Lord. And yet this man is trying to kill him. Close shave after close shave. There were many times where Saul almost got him, almost killed him. Two times David could have taken things into his own hands, made it happen. Two times he could have killed Saul, and he refused, refused to do it. One time, I'm so amazed at this, one time he's in this cave, Saul goes in to relieve himself, and David cuts a little piece of his uh, uh, garment off of him. And then check this out. Saul leaves the cave. David could have been quiet, never said anything, right? Saul would have never known, except he would have looked down and said, hey, that's weird. I'm missing a square out of my robe. Odd. You know what David did? He went outside. He bowed to the ground with his face to the ground and said, why are you trying to kill me? See, I'm not doing anything to you. And He held up the He says, I could have killed you, but I didn't. 
Now, why would you bow your face to the ground to the very man who could kill you in that instant, surrounded by an army? That's insane. Kind of like going after a giant. There's something different about this man. Just a little. That wasn't the last time. In fact, he keeps running from Saul until one day he comes back to a city that he had acquired named Ziklag. Comes back to a city, and the city is completely burned and destroyed. More loss, more devastation. The bottom of the bottom. I'm telling you, when it couldn't get any worse, when he thought it could not get any worse, it did. He gets back there, everything's gone. All the women, all the children, all their stuff. All the men's wives and children, gone. And guess what they want to do? Their hero, David, the man that they've been following for years, they want to kill him. They're done. What does David do? He says he strengthened himself in the Lord. He went after God. He did what he had been doing for eight to ten years. What he had been doing since he was a little boy. He went to God. He did what he'd always been doing. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And he asked God, what do you want me to do? And God said, go after him. You're going to recover all. I'm telling you, it was the worst day of his life. Well, maybe there's a couple others later on. but Up to that point, that was the worst. The darkest of the dark. The coldest of the cold. Did he know that a day, that same day, or that same next day, did he know that Saul was going to be killed? Nope. Did he know that just a few weeks later he was going to become king of Hebron? Nope. Everything was gone. And he strengthened himself in the Lord. And God said, you'll recover all. He went after the other army, the Amalekites. He got everything back, got all the women, all the children back, got spoils back. And that very day, Saul was killed and Jonathan. In one day, he goes from being a fugitive to being safe. But on that same day, he loses his best friend. Short time after, he says to God, what do you want me to do? Because he always does that. God said, go up to Hebron, and David becomes the king of Hebron. King at Hebron, basically over one tribe of, Ju- uh, uh, of Israel called Judah. There's 12 tribes, and he became king over one tribe. He didn't become king of all Israel right away. He became king of one tribe. Oh, but I thought God said I was going to become the king of Israel, not just one tribe. That's how a lot of us would ask, right? We, th- we think all is going to happen just instantaneous, but it doesn't. He becomes the king of one tribe. And what does he do? He's faithful, right? He serves the Lord. He shepherds Judah. Seven and a half years. Seven and a half years. And then Israel comes to him, all the elders of Israel. God told you you'd be the shepherd of of us. We'll make you king. They make a covenant and he becomes king. At 37 years old. 37 years old, he becomes king of Israel. And God fulfills to David the promise that he made to him when he was a young boy, a teenager, a tweener. And that's not the end, right? That's not the end of the story. He faithfully served the Lord. He fought the the Lord's battles. He secured peace in Israel. He subdued nations around them. He brought into Israel the greatest economic prosperity they had seen. There was peace. There was blessing. There was economic prosperity. But that wasn't the heart of it, was it? 
He led his nation in the greatest revival we've ever seen. He brought his nation. I think it's one of the only times where the whole nation worshipped God as the one true God. He's the king that every other king is compared to. He's the king that everyone said, we want to go back to those days. It's the golden age. He led his nation in worshiping God. He shepherded those people. He taught them how to trust God. He, he, he led his nation in all these blessings. And he left a legacy to the next generation in a powerful way. Not only that is when he was a young king, God came to him and said to him, I'm going to establish your house. Your son will be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who ultimately was Jesus Christ. Jesus is the son of David. So God made a promise to David, a promise that David would never see, a promise that David could never keep, right? And, D- and David responded by the way he would always respond. Wow, who am I, God? Do it, Lord. That's what he said to God. And hundreds of years later, Jesus is born, dies, and rises again. Yeah? And yet, it's crazy because most of David's sons messed up. Most of David's sons blew it to the point where the people of Israel were exiled, kicked out of their land. The temple burned, Jerusalem destroyed, Israel in exile. Hundreds of years later, the Messiah comes. He dies and he rises again. And even still, we're waiting and longing for his return when Jesus will reign on this earth and restore all things. And God will complete every one of his promises he has ever made. And it's been a while, hasn't it? Because God is up to something. 2,000 years. There's a lot that I want to say today, but I think we can just bring it down to this. little audience participation. Did God make a promise to David that he would be king? Did David become king? Did it look like he was going to be king? Thank you. God made a promise to David that he would be king. The promise was by the grace of God. It was a calling that God gave to David that was absolutely by grace. And God was absolutely faithful to him. Just like the scriptures say that God cannot lie. It's the one thing it's impossible for God to do. The Bible says he will keep his promises. But I want you to understand something. Between the promise of God and the palace, between the promise that God makes to you, between the time where God says, this is who you are and this is what I've called to do, and the time where God fulfills the call of God on your life, There's a time gap, always. And it always takes longer, and it's always harder than you think to fulfill the call of God on your life and to see the promises of God come to pass in your life. David was a teenager when he heard the promise of God, and it was not until he was 37 years old. That's more than 20 years. More than 20 years before he saw it come to pass. Maybe a decade when it didn't look like any of it would happen. And I want you to understand something. 
But that's why you have to walk by faith. It is impossible to fulfill your calling apart from faith. Impossible. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, it is impossible to please God without faith. The scriptures say, Jesus taught us, that trials and tribulation and persecution come for the word's sake. Why? Why, God? Couldn't you just, like, surprise me? Like, don't tell me I'm going to be king. Just, like, make it happen. Isn't that what we'd like? Isn't that what we'd like? Just kind of make it happen. Don't tell me. Do you realize it's a little bit easier? I don't know really if it's easier, but it's easier in one way, emotionally speaking, to just not actually know that there are promises. Do you realize that if you didn't believe there were any promises, and if you didn't believe you had a calling on your life, it'd be just a little easier because you'd live with no expectation? But when you actually come to this church or read your Bible and you find out that God has made promise after promise after promise after promise to you and the promises are in that book and that you find out that you have a calling on your life, now you could be disappointed. Because once you hear there's promises, I got a calling. Guess what you and I think? That's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah, I got anointed. I'm going to be king. I, I, guess, I, bet, I bet Saul's just going to keel over and die. And Israel's just going to come to my house and lift me up on their shoulders and say, King David, be our king. Yeah, right. But we do that in our hearts, don't we? We fantasize. And then we wish, I wish you just never would have told me. But listen to what David says. Well, I understand what David said. Psalm 27. I believe this is the core of David. I would have lost heart unless I had believed. I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Listen to what he says in Psalm 138. It's one of my favorite. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. And your hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. He says those things in the midst of the trial. He says them in the midst of the waiting. He says them in the midst of delay. He says them in the midst of the wilderness. He says that in a cave. He says it when a man is trying to kill him. He says it when it doesn't look like it will ever happen. In fact, sometimes when you hear a promise from God and you receive a calling, it actually goes the opposite direction in the natural realm. You hear God is going to bring blessing to my life, says Tom Ward. Thus says the Lord. No, I'm not messing around, right? God says through Tom. God says through Scott. Favor in this next year. Blessing in this next year. And guess what happens on Monday? Your bank, your bank account looks like it's going the opposite direction. I guarantee that's what happens in the natural. Because every seed has to hide in the ground first. Every seed gets tested in the kingdom first. See, because what God wants to do is he wants to produce his call and the promises through you in you and with you. It is not something he wants to do apart from you and for you. He wants to do something in you 
The call of God on your life is not just necessarily what you will accomplish, although it is a task. I mean, there is a task involved. It's what he wants to do in you to become the person that he made you to be. What he wants is relationship. He doesn't need you. If you disobey God, he'll raise somebody else up. But he's looking for a man or a woman who would believe him like David. And that through you, he could get his will done on earth. Through you, he could do what he said he wants to do. To bless, to provide, to fulfill his promises. He wouldn't have said them if he didn't mean them. But unless you participate through faith, not, you can't make it happen. But unless you participate through faith, it won't happen. The reason why people get tempted by sin and give in, the reason why people get discouraged and depressed and give up, the reason why people lose heart, the reason why people get mad at God and blame God in the midst of trials, the reason why circumstances affect you and what you see with your eyes affects you and the reason what you feel on the inside like anxiety and worry affect you is because you don't have faith. That didn't come out quite right. It is a faith issue. Let's just say that. You have faith, but... People who walk by faith, they don't lose heart. People who walk by faith, they are not tempted to give up. Oh, they're tempted, but they don't give up. Let's just say it that way. The temptation doesn't have the strength on us when we walk by faith. When we understand that every time we fall into sin, it's always rooted in a lie. It's always rooted in a place we're not believing him. I don't mean that to make anyone feel bad. That's, I, when I said you don't have faith, I meant that to just simply expose what is, what simply is. Listen to what David says. I believed. I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's why I never lost heart. That's why David never gave up. That's why David never checked out. That's why David never ran away. He stuck with the Lord. He said to God, you will Perfect what concerns me. You will do what you said. You will finish what you started. In the midst of trials, in the midst of delay, we're not saying that David was some stoic with no emotions. Very emotional. Very difficult. Very scary. He always said, I believe you. See, because the promise of God is by grace and he gives it to you before you'll ever see it, you have to walk by faith to see it come to pass. Everything I've ever heard from the Lord, every promise he's ever made, he's done always taken longer and been harder because it's something he wants to produce in me. It's not something that he could just do for you that you can avoid. It's something that he has to produce in me, in my character, through my life. He wants that relationship. When I was 16, 17, the Lord called me to be a pastor. I never pursued that position. Just served. Clean toilets, fold programs, 
I just did what the Lord had called me to do at that time. Me to be a tutor, I was a tutor. Helped start a tutoring program. He wants me to do evangelism, I did evangelism. I was a youth pastor. Just did what the Lord put before me. Never seeking the position, just knowing that God would do it. A few years ago, five years ago, I became a pastor. But I want you to understand, praise God, that's a fulfillment of something that took more than a decade. And I want you to understand that it was very difficult to allow God to shape my character. It would have been easier, emotionally speaking, to avoid correction, to avoid the character development, to avoid the emotional wholeness, to avoid those things. But see, believing what God said to me about his love, about my calling, I embraced those things. And I would say to the Lord, even when I was a young man, do in me, Whatever you have to do to make me the man that you called me to be. And I meant it. We don't say those things because we don't want to go up to that, right? But I meant it. That's not easy. But I want you to understand that the Lord has spoken to me about my life. See, your calling's not done until you go to heaven, right? Then you start a new one. The Lord has spoken to me about the future of my life. There are things that the Lord will do in and through me that he has not yet fulfilled. There's a seed in me that's hidden that no one else can see except for me. I see it in my spirit because the word is in my heart. The Lord has spoken to me. There are many times where I've been discouraged. There's many times where I uh, didn't believe it in my early 20s. I lost heart because I did not believe. But there are things that the Lord has spoken to me. The last couple of years, the Lord has been building me up to walk by this patient faith. The Lord has revealed to me, he's taken his word, and he's painted a picture in my spirit about what that future will look like. But you can't see it. It's not in the natural. God's word is like a blueprint. Many of us were skeptics, and we simply just want to see the building built. We'll believe when we see the building built, but that's not how faith works. You've got to come to the architect and look at the blueprint and partner with God to build that thing. And I'm going to end with this scripture here. Listen to Habakkuk 2. Then the Lord answered and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end... It will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Listen, the vision doesn't speak in the beginning. Nobody sees it. And a lot of times your family, they don't see it. No one else can see it. In the beginning, the vision doesn't speak, and in the end, it doesn't speak either, does it? I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sorry, in the middle, it doesn't speak either. In the middle, it doesn't speak. In the middle, it looks like it ain't going to happen at all. Man, God said to me, I'm going to restore you completely. In my early 20s, all this junk going on in my life, and he did. But it took years. God has spoken things to Michelle and I about seeing people come to Jesus 
We believed God for years. We could see it in our spirit. That person's going to come to the Lord. We could see what God is going to do. And what's awesome is when they come to Jesus and you can say, I saw that in my spirit years ago. And we believed God. That's what my wife is like. I saw that. I believed God for that. It's not boasting in ourselves. It's just that we partnered with him. And I'm telling you, I have a vision from the Lord that God has shown me. And like never before in my life, I believe it. I see it. But in the beginning, it doesn't speak. And in the middle, it doesn't speak. But what does it say? In the end. In the end, God will get the glory. In the end. And that's what he wants. Amen? That's why he tells you in the beginning, so you can stand on his word and believe him. That's why he tells you, so you'll endure through the temptations and the trials. That's why he speaks to you. So what I want you to do is ask God, what, is, what are you telling me? Not just for your whole life, but even right now, God, what are you saying to me? And write it down. Write it down. And you stand on that word, and you talk like David talked, and you believe like David believed. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You will perfect what concerns me. Amen? Amen. Sam, come on up here.